0: Ah, good morning. If you don't know what blue means, it's okay. We won't explain it later. Um, No, I'm just kidding. If you feel comfortable with me, would you just take a moment to pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Pastor John. Thank you for this church. And if you would take a moment and if you pray for yourself, that the Lord would open your eyes and your ears and your heart to receive his message from Scripture this morning. And if you would take a second, if you feel comfortable, if you pray for me, then I would be useful and helpful to you. Well, Lord, we love you and we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, at some point, everyone has had the good news, bad news conversation. I'm not sure which way you lean. I personally like to hear the bad news first and then the good news later, especially as long as there's a guarantee that there's going to be good news. Don't tell me bad news if there is no good news. Like, if there's good and bad, tell me the bad first. So it's like when you were a kid, right? You want the bitter medicine followed up with something sweet. I remember my, you know, just a spoonful of sugar. You're just like, <laughs> nah! but same with information, right? We want, we want bad news first sometimes because we know that there's a guarantee of good news later, following it up to make it feel better. I would use this technique when I was coaching, when coaching baseball, um, right? And I would see a player do something that was just incorrect. I would be like, hey, like, you need to work on this because you're not going to throw strikes. Um, but man, you rock at this. Um, or how about, you know, scenarios like, Bad news, you burned your dinner. Good news, you have a gift card to Applebee's. Bad news, you spilled your coffee on your favorite shirt. Good news, you're wearing camouflage so it fits right in. Bad news, you tripped and fell in front of a bunch of people. Good news, you've started a trend and now have a viral dance move. Or something less silly. Bad news, loneliness is at an all-time high. Good news, God didn't design you to go through life alone. Bad news, you maybe struggle with mental health, feeling isolated, misunderstood. Good news, there's people here around you feeling the exact same way. Bad news, you've been struggling with doubts and questions about your faith. Good news you're connected with a solid group of Christians who are now open to discussing and exploring questions with a desire to learn and grow. Bad news. You've been struggling recently to find a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, whether that be your job, your family, your career, your social life, etc. Good news. Well, really, the best news. The church provides the means to help us live more fulfilling lives when we're connected to other people. So today, like John said, we're concluding our series where we've searched for some ancient answers to modern problems in the book of Proverbs. And there's a huge topic that we've kind of not purposely skipped over, we just haven't gotten to yet. And what a better Sunday to talk about this right before kickoff. There isn't one. The power of community, what it means to be a friend, how to be a good one. How to move towards the right people. How to move away from the wrong people. They're, the Proverbs are littered with this theme. They're all over the place. And when I was doing research last week, I was like, there's a bunch. With, a wi- with wisdom on who we should be moving towards. This is really important. Let's not miss in Proverbs who we surround ourselves with. Starting in Proverbs 12, verse 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Walk with the wise, become the wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. In other words, and I didn't come up with this next saying, so don't quote Mike, I, this was not me, but show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I tell it to the students all the time, they hate hearing it. But show me your friends in high school, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends now, I'll show you your future in five years. Who you surround yourself with, chances are, that's who you're gonna be like. Why? Because the power of community that you're in has a powerful influence on you, one way or another. This whole summer, we've been laying out for you different kinds of paths. There's different kinds of fools. Here's foolishness, here's wisdom. And it's like, we almost missed Proverbs saying to us, if you wanna end up in a certain place of your life, go hang out with the people going in that direction. What direction are your friends going in? That's probably the direction you're gonna go in too. You wanna be considered wise? Hang out with the wise. Don't be surprised when you end up acting foolish because your friends are that way. So what I wanna talk to you about today is nothing new under the sun. You probably have you know, heard or thought about this idea before. But it's really important and wise for us to pause and remind ourselves because sooner or later, like John said, it's Christmas and we're going to be busy and oh, I don't have time to think about my friends. So let's pause for a moment right now and think about, am I surrounding myself with the right group of people? So let me ask you a question. I think I know how you're going to answer, would you, would you want to be part of something that's really exciting that involves being around a bunch of great people and is better because you're a part of it? In other words, if I could show you today, if I could prove it to you, that God created you to live less lonely, more loving, have more clarity in your life, resemble Jesus, feel less empty, make better choices, have more peace, and gain a group of friends who have your back and lift you up when you're down, would you want to be a part of that, would you be interested? Of course, amen, John, that's right, of course you would. God designed you, he designed me, he designed your family members, he designed your friends, he designed the people you don't like in that town to benefit from doing life with others. The key now is we have to honestly assess who we should move towards and who we should not. The Proverbs lays out for us a couple Bad news first. We like the bad news first. So let's do bad news first. Who should we avoid? There's two kinds of people. Proverbs 22. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. For you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. The first is the hot-tempered, easily angered. I call it, we're going to have a theme of uh, G, the grump The grump. The word study there for hot-tempered is burning anger. They just seethe with anger. They are easily angered. Someone who hurts people with their emotions. It burns others. They can either turn their anger on and off like a gas stove. Boom! Off. Oh, I'm fine. Like, what? Or... Like an electric stove. You turn it on, it takes a while to get hot, and then it stays hot, and then you you turn it off, and it's still hot, and you're like, oh, it's fine, oh my gosh, right? That's on the electric stove, by the way, okay? When it comes to your friends, do they have short fuses? Do they seem to like being angry? Or do they like staying angry? It might not be the person, Proverbs would probably suggest, it might not be the person you want to make your best friend because you'll end up just like them. Better yet, let's get a little more personal. Can I, can I just push and nudge a little bit because this is so important to me. Does that resemble you? Are you easily angered? Do you stay angry? Yeah, I, I am the electric stove. I stay angry, my wife would tell you. It takes me a while to get hot, but once I'm hot, even after the the apology is done and the conversation's over, I'm still seething with anger, and that's not good. That's not good. The writer James famously speaks to our anger. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, and you've heard this, it's on your coffee mugs and pillows and paintings. You should be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to be angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. God desires something. that requires it. He desires. He longs for it. He longs for your righteousness. Anger is not the way. It's not just easy to learn the ways of the angry. That's easy to learn. But the proverb also warns us that we'll be ensnared will be trapped. Proverbs 12 uses the same word, ensnared and trapped. Evildoers are trapped. It's the same word, by their sinful talk. If you become friends with the grump, first you'll end up just like them. And then, this is where it gets tricky, you'll be trapped. And it's really hard to unlearn the ways of anger. Right? It's really hard to unlearn anger. I can totally relate to this. It's easy to give yourself over to anger, and then get used to being angry. There's even like some power and like some adrenaline in being angry, but then when you try to unlearn the patterns of getting angry, it feels like a bear trap that's just, you stepped in the trap, and it's stuck around your ankle, and you can't unlearn the ways. You're ensnared. It's really hard to learn to be slow to speak. It's hard to be quick to listen. It's hard to shut up. It's hard to be slow to angry. Save yourself some trouble. Don't surround yourself with grumps. All right, the second bad news, the second friend to avoid, I know it just feels so cushy and like, ooh, rainbows and unicorns this morning, but I want to help you with this. The second type of friend to avoid is the gossip. A gossip betrays confidence. It's Proverbs 20. So avoid anyone who talks too much. The gossip betrays confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Ever get that feeling when you're, you know, you're talking or maybe you're in a group chat on your phone or whatever it is and, and you know, someone brings up someone else and you're just like, oh yeah, huh. and But then you, a nagging feeling might come in the back of your mind. Mm, they're willing to do this to other people. What happens when I'm not around? Do they do that to me? Does, do my friends talk about me this way when I'm not there? Be careful. If you're trusting a gossip with sensitive information, literally the Proverbs are saying, yeah, don't do that. Avoid them. The scriptures are pretty firm. The scriptures are pretty firm towards the gossip. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Furthermore, Proverbs 17. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. That doesn't sound too good. I don't want to be a person who separates people. Did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you, did you see? Hey, give me, give me. Did you see what they posted? Oh gosh, did you see what they commented? gossip, gossip. Gossip. Just stir in the pot, because it's fun. I get it. It is fun. Like, yeah. Ooh, they're not talking about me, so I'm okay with talking about other people. If you have teenagers, ooh, yeah, spill the tea. Uh, Yeah, sorry. Nope, that's bad. Uh, Sometimes I try to be cool. I'm just not still. Um, You're doing nothing but separating people. That's not who I want to be like, and I'm sure that's not who you want to be like. I want to be the one who covers an offense, who protects The writer Paul, again, is kind of harsh towards the gossip. When he writes the Romans, he's talking about people uh, with a depraved mind, morally corrupt people. This is what he says about them. It's tough. Romans 1, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. Slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. He lumps all those people together. Hmm, those are some categories I don't want to be associated with. So please hear me on this. I really hope we can take our gossiping seriously. Hopefully, you're thinking, gosh, I I really hope those aren't me. Hopefully, you're also not too prideful. That's not me. See, none of us want to be the grump or the gossip. That's what wisdom advises us to avoid. And certainly none of us want to be lonely without friends. Of course not. So if we're not the grump, if we don't want to be the gossip, or at least genuinely trying not to be, why do we feel lonely sometimes in a sea of people? Is there something we can do to help that feeling? Good news time. Here's the good news. Yes, yes. There absolutely is. There are types of people that we can be moving towards, who we can surround ourselves with. Again, there are two types of people that the Proverbs suggest. One more obvious than the other. But the first is the gracious one, Proverbs 22. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have a king for a friend. The gracious one. They have a pure heart and they speak with grace. What's interesting to me is the writer, if you don't know of the book of Proverbs, is King Solomon, the wisest person. So the writer said, hey, if you're pure of heart and you're full of grace, you'll have the king for a friend. Basically saying, I'm the wisest guy, you'll have me, I wanna be your friend. The king wants to be your friend. If you're gracious, if you're full of grace, then you'll have the king wanting to be your friend. People will move towards you. Pure heart, like, that seems impossible. Like, you're yeah, right, no one can have a pure heart. How can this relate to what kind of friend to look for? Well, if it would have been good for King Solomon to be that friend, it'll be good for us to look for the person whose love for God just makes you want to love God more. And just by being around them, you start to learn and pick up how they experience life. They speak with grace, not meaning public speaking. That's not what it means. It means they do not, um, they're not easily angered. They don't speak bad of other people. They treat their loved ones well. They're full, they're quick to forgive. They're full of compassion. They give others the benefit of the doubt. You know, I I don't believe that they meant that. They didn't mean to make me feel that way. Give you the benefit of the doubt. Typically, they're the people that everyone loves being around. Do you have anyone like that in your life? The second kind of person that we should be moving towards is the gently honest one. The gently honest one. Proverbs 27 Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What does that mean? What does wounds from a friend can be trusted mean? Well, you can tell someone actually loves you when they are willing to hurt your feelings and tell you the truth in love. Even when it means that they, they know they're gonna, be, like, they're gonna hurt your feelings, but they go, hey, I see this. I love you, bro, but that was wrong. You should stop doing that. Like Because you know that they love you and are your friend, the correction that they present to you can be trusted. You got something in your teeth, right? I, I notice you've been really angry lately. Are you okay? I don't wanna see you lose that relationship. Why are you so angry? What's going on? Here's a, a quick real life example. A couple months ago, I went out with one of my mentors and we had an honest conversation and he needed to tell me some things. And he gave me some feedback in some areas and it hurt. He wasn't mean, he was gentle, but he told me some truths in love, and I'm really glad he did, it helped a lot. But I trusted his honesty because I knew that he loved me. On the other hand, an enemy, they don't really care about hurting your feelings, and they'll actually not, they're not willing to offend you to tell you the truth. Someone who doesn't have your well-being or interest in mind will just tell you what you wanna hear, even when it's a lie. I think um, upperclassmen in high school, Or even college students, like, yeah, like, you should go be a teacher. You love math. Yeah, I know you hate kids, but yeah, go be a teacher. Like, like, maybe the most college students or high school students, maybe the most honest thing that you can hear is maybe you should think of something else to do with your life. You don't like kids. They annoy you, right? Or, or you're not good at math. Don't try to be a teacher. All right, we talked about bad news. Talked about good news. Friends to move towards and surround ourselves with. Now we have to ask, how does this play out relationally with each other? How does this play out with community? We represent a lot of towns in this room right now, probably. So how do we do that? We're not always, you know, we don't have everyone's number on speed dial here, but how do we do this in community? What does a healthy community look like? I wanna focus on a community of faith that I think we have here, like Mendham Hills, The cool thing that there is a group of people that did community really well. There's already a playbook. We don't have to reinvent this. We don't have to come up with it ourselves. The first Christian circle of friends was a community of people called the disciples who did life with Jesus and with each other. You know, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the disciples and other believers, they began to pray. This is Acts 1 and Acts 2. And the story echoes the wisdom written in Proverbs. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born out of a time of adversity, like Jesus just left earth. Talk about adversity, like who they were following for years and who they were worshiping. Yeah, you're the Messiah. You just rose from the grave and now you're gone. What do we do? Okay. Ah. Like they start, what do they do? They gathered together. They started to pray and then suddenly the Holy Spirit fills them up and then they began to speak in different languages. It's a crazy story. I'm paraphrasing for you. But then a large crowd gathered because they were all speaking different languages and then they were confused and then they were amazed and then all of a sudden 3,000 people, they got saved. They, they believed in Jesus Christ. So, so Peter, right, he's, he's speaking to this crowd and he's, he's witnessing to them. And then all of a sudden you have 3,000 people. Just now they are following Jesus and they talk about huge community, what do we do with that? Well, let's read what they did in Acts chapter two, a faith community. Starting in verse 41, those who accepted Peter's message, his message, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, being together, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's so much in those verses. These new Christians were all very excited about their new faith, and they started spending a lot of time together. The key word there noted is together being a part of a big family, supporting, encouraging one another in their journey with Jesus. There's three things I want to highlight for you that I, um, that I thought about and I want to just say quickly. Let's highlight these things. First is, community happens when Christians spend time together. Community happens when Christians spend time together. So many wonderful things can happen when you spend your in, intentional time with Christians. Let's start by noticing the practical Nature of relationships, strong relationships, they don't happen immediately. You can become acquaintances immediately. Oh, hey, I know your name or I, don't, I forgot your name. But close friendships take time, take hours, take days, take sacrifice of I'm going to move my schedule to spend time with you. I'm going to drive across. Not you come to me, I'm coming to you there's also a proverb that warns us that maybe there is a little too much time together. Proverbs 25, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they will hate you. In other words, don't be a stage one clinger. Uh, Then you might, you know, start not to like each other. So there is a balance. There is clinging too much. But there is something to be said about spending time together. It will transform you and community happens. You become good friends. You learn about each other, you learn what hurts them, you learn what motivates and moves them, and they to you, and you support each other, and you're there for one another. I'm so grateful. Uh, I wrote uh, about one of my friends in college, I'm gonna switch it up on the fly here, because one of my best friends is here this morning, he surprised me, his name's Tim, right there. And I'm so grateful for him, I was in his wedding, he's my best man in my wedding, and I am so grateful for his friendship. We call each other almost on the weekly, if we get it right, 15 minutes, hey, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? Hey, let's pray. And man, like his, his guidance and brotherhood and friendship to me has helped shape the man that's standing up here amongst other people. But one of my closest friends, Timbo, Tim, um, has really, really shaped my character. That takes a lot of time and commitment and sacrifice and scheduling. And, but man, is it worth it. So when it comes to living in Christian community, if we're serious about building strong relationships, it's crucial that you meet together regularly. You have to invest in your Christian community and your relationships. We create supportive environment when we become like a family. When you grow spiritually and you support and encourage each other in your faith. The the people in Acts, they didn't only think about themselves, but they, oh, I skipped a part. I wanted to highlight this. Proverbs, excuse me, describes what happens when we spend time together in this way, like Tim and I. Iron sharpens iron, you heard that before. Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Absolutely. All right, secondly, the first is community. Happens when you spend time together. Community results in generosity. I love how these new believers had an incredible way of caring for each other. They didn't only think about themselves, but they were selfless and willing to make sacrifices. In Acts 2, right, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And, and that lines up with the Proverbs, the, what we've been looking at all summer, Proverbs 14. It's a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. They even sold their belongings. When's the last time you sold something you cared about to give to the poor? Right, maybe out of excess, but hey, let me sell my TV to go, like, we don't really do that. Right? But, but these believers, they just sold their stuff because that's what happens when you're in a life-changing community through the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus changes your life, what will flow out of you is generosity. And when we're generous, we bring people together. We show compassion, we, we cultivate support in that way. And this generosity, it's just a snowball effect. That's a good one. It strengthens your relationship and connection with other believers. And this, in turn, displays to others who are not believers the amazing impact that Jesus can impact on your life. It's a lot easier to walk by the bum on the side of the road asking for money than it is your neighbor. Like, if you literally saw your neighbor, your next-door neighbor asking for help, wouldn't you Stop. Hopefully, maybe some of you are like, no. Maybe your next-door neighbor is the bum that you consider, but mm. all right, fine. But the irony here, who did Jesus say was your neighbor? There's a subtle unity piece that's important not to skip over. They're unified. The people in this first community in Acts chapter 2, they're unified, probably not in their opinions. If you do any study in the New Testament, if you check out the church, kind of a hot mess. It's imperfect, which in my mind goes, oh, that's way more relatable. (laughs) Great, I don't have to be perfect. But they were unified in their mission. That's the type of change that happens because of Jesus. And the writer Paul urged the believers in Corinth to follow the lead of the people in Acts. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What if, I was thinking about this, what if (laughs) Paul was writing a letter that would end up in the Bible to describe the kind of church that we are when it comes to our generosity? Hey, the book of Mendemites, here we go. What do you think he'd say about Mendem Hills? When it comes to generosity, what do you think he would say? I ask that question because, I mean, maybe some of us think, well, I'll be generous later but I want you to know that Jesus wants, you to ch- wants to change you to become more generous and not about money. It's not about money. It is 100% about your heart. When God changes our lives and we live together in community, we encourage each other to this kind of generosity that is ultimately that will bring thankfulness to God in your heart. It's not by accident when you hear about you know, the young adults they served in at, you know at that that surf thing where they were helping people surf who couldn't on their own. Man, they were that young adults we have to kick out of church every week because they like being together. Why? Because they serve together. They're generous together. The students we go to 30-hour famine and we serve together. Hey, did you hear about when you know so and so was sweeping the rice and then they fell and all oh, memories and. We we talk about Guatemala, like, oh, I'm a week one person. Why? Because you built a family of week one or week two, week three, whatever. But there is such a community and strengthening of relationships when you get down and dirty and you're generous and you serve together. There's something cool that really happens. But you know what is not on people's mind when you're generous together as a group of people, when you're serving together? You know what's not on your mind? As you're serving, as you're building the wall in Guatemala, hey, who would you vote for? hey, what do you think about this controversial topic? That's not on your mind, and if it is, it shouldn't be. Hmm. The generosity charges the mission which unifies you. This is what being in community, if we get it right, can do. The third idea I noticed from the first Christian community is community results in worship. Community result, when you're in community, worship will just flow out of you. Sometimes in songs like we do, sometimes in like how we live our lives. Jesus changed these believers' lives, and in addition to meeting together and displaying generosity, they worshiped God together. They felt a deep sense of um, gratitude and awe, and they praised him. Let's read it again. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's where they worshipped. They, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number. Their example shows us, in my mind, how Jesus can ignite your desire to worship. Gathering as a community to worship, it's not just about your personal connection to God. It's actually not. It's Also about strengthening the body of believers, worshiping together creates a shared sense of purpose, a shared sense of joy, a shared sense of unity amongst other people. As we're focusing on God together, we're doing it together. Yes, worship will deepen your personal relationship, but it also brings you closer to other people around you. It's the super glue, in my mind, that can hold you together. That's why when I take students to Lake Champion, when I take students to the Life Conference, when we go to a Christian concert—not Bruce, but all right, fine, whatever—but um, <laughs> but when we when we worship together, that's my favorite part. Worship when you're in a sea of people, when thousands of people. Imagine, imagine, right, the MetLife Stadium with thousands of people praising the name of Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Much more happened in Acts 2 than in those three observations. But I wanted you to hear that from me. I want you to spend time together, be generous because Jesus has been generous to you, and worship God in response. And I don't only want you to hear this on a Sunday morning and go, yeah, that was great, and then you forget about it, and you don't do anything about it later today or tomorrow or Tuesday when you go back to work. I want you to do something this week I'm gonna give you three options. I want this life and community for you that results in life change, that results in generosity, that results in worship. Let's, let's go back to the wisdom, the Proverbs that, that were teaching us. So let me submit to you a couple options to consider this week. The first is practice. What do I mean? Practice not being the type of people The not being the type of friend that people avoid. You have to practice at that. It's not a switch. Yeah, all of a sudden, I'm awesome. Like, you have to practice at it. You have to undo some things before you can learn some things. It's easy to hop in on the gossip. Oh, that's easy. That feels good. That's fun. It takes practice and self-control to not join, to not throw in that meme because it's funny about what that person just said and in the thread, or to not add one other thing in that conversation. So the next time you find yourself in a gossipy conversation, just shut up. Try that. Remove yourself from saying anything. It'll feel awkward at first because you're like, oh, I don't have something to say, it would be so good. Yeah, that person did make me mad too. Change the subject. And we don't practice this way because we are holier than thou and I'm better than you. No, we practice this because I know my heart and it's easy for me to join in. And it, but if I do join in, that's going to corrupt me. And that's going to actually corrupt my friends, because you have an influence over the people you're around too. That's a bad snowball. So practice. We're guarding our hearts and we're hopefully guarding theirs too. Or speaking of getting caught, right, there's the gossip piece, there's the anger piece. If you're like me and you can get ensnared in that bear trap by your anger, again, you have to practice. This is hard. This one for me is harder. But here's how you can practice. First, when you are calm, when your stove is not on, when you're not seeing red, you have to do the work in your own heart and go, why did I get so angry yesterday? Or why does that... Person make me so mad. What wound are they touching? What's going on in me? I'm upset about that because it made me feel like that. Well, why did it make me feel like that? Well, because I'm actually insecure about that. Why am I actually insecure? Well, because you have to assess your heart, you have to practice knowing yourself well enough. So that in the moments when the stove turns on, you can go, I know why this is happening. I'm okay. (laughs) You have to practice. Or the second way, and this I do that all the time, and I don't mean to be an empty platitude of, iron. just pray about it. But like literally, when I feel the anger, the stove is turning and getting hotter and hotter, I go, Lord, fill my heart with your love for that person. That's a hard prayer to do because sometimes you'll, I'm like saying it through like, you know, bar t Lord. fill my heart with the But you practice at it. And when you practice it in the small things, I'm not saying start with the biggest thing that upsets you. Start with the smallest silliest, dumbest thing that your friend does, that your kids do, that your spouse does. Start with the small thing. Lord, fill my heart with my daughter, for my daughter. Lord, fill my heart with your love. Not my love, your love. My patience runs out. Lord, fill my heart with your patience for the smallest, dumbest thing. Let me practice. And then when you practice in the small things, the big things, your, your heart muscles have already been Practiced. Stretched. Okay. When you start practicing, so that was the that was option number one. Some of you need to practice. I need to practice. Do that this week. Just practice. Or some of you have been practicing. Kudos to you. Keep going. When you do practice, the second option for you to, to do this week is to become like the friend the type of friend that people want to move towards. We have to take off those two things, the gossip and the grump, and we have to put on becoming the gracious one, the gently honest one. Are you full of grace? Does grace flow out of you? Are you gentle with your words? Or are you just not around, whatever. Came to my mind, bam! <laughs> are you gentle? Here's how you can be, here's a practical way you can be gentle and gracious. Proverbs 17, whoever would foster love covers an offense. Do you protect? Do you cover offense? One of my youth leaders does this exceptionally well. She's constantly, constantly, annoyingly, but beautifully giving people the benefit of the doubt. People offend her, people, you know, When you work with students, sometimes it happens. Sometimes. But I love them, so whatever. It's okay. Cover the offense. But she does it so beautifully. She covers the offense, gives people the benefit of the doubt, is quick to forgive, and she is gently honest. And something I noticed about her, the students flock to her. They love her. When they come back from college, ah! So people will flock to you when you become gently honest, gentle, and full of grace. They'll flock, people will flock to you. So steps one and two, practice, become, that will take trial and error. It will probably take a small group of people, of trusted people, where you can help one another practice. Oh, great! Speaking of, here's the third thing that I want you to do. I want you to hunt down Jana. Jana today, this week, and go, get me in a group. What group do I belong in? Join a small group and make the most of it. Don't just join, be like, oh, I joined, but I never showed up. That doesn't do anything. Join and show up and make the most of it. The Proverbs highlight this. Proverbs 18, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Not late, soon comes to ruin but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We enjoy these big group meetings, absolutely, but there's something special. It's the special sauce of church, is small groups. They're the backbone of it. If you're not in one, you really should hunt down Jana because God wants you to build meaningful relationships with Christian friends who will make you stronger and you'll make them stronger. It's a win-win. Win-win-win, we like those. So I've just given you a couple options this week to consider, and I want you to choose one, please. And after choosing one, share it with your friend, share it with your spouse so they hold you accountable. Hey, have you been working on? That's what community starts to do. Because the best thing you can do this month, today, this week, before Christmas happens, before you pick up your pumpkin spice latte, the best thing that you can do is, seriously, hear me, is invest in your spiritual maturity. That's the best thing you can do. Your your friend's greatest need, your parent's greatest need, your kid's greatest need, especially, your spouse's greatest need is your pursuit, your personal holiness. That's their greatest need out of you. My wife's greatest need out of me is, is my personal holiness. My greatest need out of her is her personal holiness. And you, there's ways you can do that. Imagine, imagine five years from now, which is hard to do. So if that's too much, imagine six months, imagine a year from right now, what would it look like if this community gets this right? If we stop gossiping about each other, or maybe not about each other, but other people outside who don't go to church, if we stop it, imagine if we get it right. Imagine if we are the type of people that scripture talk about. You know, I just listened to a, a, um, a short clip uh, that Joe Rogan, I know it's crazy, but Joe Rogan was like, yeah, like if people, if Christians actually you know, lived how the, the Bible explains, this world would be a better place. And I'm like, duh, imagine if we got it right imagine five years from now, what would it look like if Mendham Hills got it right? That's the type of place I'd be proud to raise my daughter in. And we're on our way there. Let's stand and sing.